Well, aloha from uh, the great state of Hawaii, February 28th. We can talk about why we have a short month in a minute, but Doug Padgett here um, from a uh, different spot, um, on a different part of the, the planet, as they say here in Hawaii, just a guy sitting on a rock in the middle of the ocean, uh, which I guess we all are, no matter where you are. The, uh, but welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Good to see you today, bright and early today where I am, 5.06 a.m. Uh, Politics Tuesday, uh, 28th of February. Good morning, Rob. How are things somewhere snuggled outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas? No, things are good. I am, uh, I don't know, at some point I took over cooking duties around our house. And, uh, you know, Vanessa said to me at times like, hey, uh, you know, are you, are you going to be upset? Are you resentful about having to, you know, meal plan and grocery shop and cook and all of that. And I said, you know, you did that for 20 plus years. So, you know, I, I feel like I got a ways to go before I can start being, you know, resentful about, uh, about cooking. I, I do have a little bit of a problem that I keep hurting myself, uh, <laughs> which, which she threatens to, uh, she's threatened to, ban me from the kitchen but that means she would have to cook and she doesn't want to do that uh, so the other day I was uh, I was making some chicken and uh, popped the uh, popped the frying pan into the oven to uh, uh, to finish off the chicken and um, and you know I took it out of the oven and was uh, <laughs> Joyce coming in strong with boring already on uh, <laughs> wow Joyce I haven't even gotten to the good part of the story yet you just uh, wait stick for with it, me. Joyce. I'm sorry. Just, just give me a second. Joyce, we are so much oh, wow. more boring than this. This is the. <laughs> this is actually the highlight. This is the fastball. <laughs> Once we get through this story, it's just downhill. Wow. Oh boy. So I uh, turn off the yeah, comments, so, Rob. Just turn off the comments. <laughs> wow, that rattled me. <laughs> so, boring with so I, three you know, O's. I, I take. I, I take the chicken out of the uh, out of the frying pan. I you know slice it up. I I plate it. I, then I you know, I plate the uh, Brussels sprouts that had come out of the oven. I go back to get the artichoke hearts and roasted red pepper um, that was going to uh, you know top the chicken. And I grab the frying pan, mm-hmm. forgetting that uh, I don't know hundred and 20 seconds previous it had been in the oven and uh i had about a a three second moment that felt like eternity where Mm -hmm. i i had grabbed the pan and it turned and realized oh that's hot and uh so i was able to put the pan down thankfully and uh i got i got i got I got big burns all over my hands, um, you know, and oh, whoa, and <laughs> Dan is showing the picture of the blister. Uh, how's, yeah, that, that's how's that for entertainment, Joyce? Yeah. How is that? <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> How much must I hurt myself for you to find enjoyment? Yeah. So I've, I have got a big old blister on my hand. Thankfully, we have like, a, I don't know if, if if y'all use the uh, you know the aloe plant uh, <laughs> remedy for for burns, but we've got uh, we've got an aloe plant that really is just 
you know, stalks that have been like broken off and, <laughs> you know, because they've been the squeezed on. And, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I, w- I was able to utilize that and, you know, it was, uh, it was painful for a while. It doesn't hurt now. It's just really strange to have a big old blister on my hand. Yeah. You Rob said this- that this blister was substantial <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, I've had a blister too. And, in my life, and then you sent that picture, and I was—it's—it's <laughs> it's stunning. For those on the no audio, hyperbole this is one of the there. times. Sometimes we feel badly that people on the audio version of the podcast can only hear it. This time, that's a—that's a good thing. You're just—you've been saved, yeah, from all kinds yep. of uh, gruesome. Hey, do, hey, hey, Rob, do you think this is part of the reason Vanessa's asking if you have deep regrets or you have some, you know? Um, seething anger about being the cook because it's coming out <laughs> sideways and you're hurting yourself in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Not, uh, and, I mean, this is just, her, I don't want to cook. I just keep hurting myself. Yeah. This is just a week or two after, um, I had healed from basically cutting the tip of my finger off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if you remember that, I, I, yeah, it's, uh, every six weeks or so I'll, uh, I'll have a major accident, but Listen, I finished fine. plating. I'm glad to do the cooking. You did it for 20 years. It's fine. I I, I can get yeah. by with you know yeah. one one hand and two digits. It'll be it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, I I finished plating the food. Plating. I, Good lord. I I <laughs> I took it. I I took it to Vanessa, and uh, is this was lunch on Sunday, and uh, and. You know, Isn't it lunching on Sunday? Weren't you lunching on Sunday when you were plating the food and you were efforting yes. to get the food to them yes. and turning all exactly? It? And uh, and I I I took it and I said, I I'm like here here's lunch. I burned my hand pretty bad. <laughs> 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 so I didn't scream or cry or uh, or uh, or curse or anything this time. So, yeah. well, that's a win. How about you, Dan? How are things there in West Michigan? Uh, great. I also do most of the cooking. Uh, I've managed not to burn myself that badly, but <laughs> I do uh, make a mess of things. So it's, but I enjoy it. And yeah, Doug, when you start uh, getting into cooking, you do have to call it plating. You can't just. Oh yeah. It's not buffet style. No. We're not. It's the presentation is part of the meal. Yeah. And and saying I put it on the plate, you're you're not saying that you're, no. you play, you you plated it. Yeah. You uh, it's been plated and it was plating. <laughs> uh, it's one of the great innovations of the current 2020s language. You know, just making a verb of of many a of many a thing. Hey, um, yeah. did I tell you last week? By the way, Dan, we did the one other podcast from here that I'm in the house that was previously owned by Randy Travis. No. So, no. Uh, if, yeah. <laughs> Joyce is going to love this story. Now Joyce is giving me a hard time about not using potholders. I <laughs> got it. Got it, Joyce. Thanks. Point taken. Uh, point taken. Randy Travis though. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it, it is, so it's a house that was sold by Randy Travis to another couple and then sold to our friends who were staying with. Everything Randy Travis had in the house stayed in the house through both sides. Oh yeah, no, it's there's signed artwork on the walls that are like to Randy. There's a Bible what? Uh, that's you know to Randy. There's stuff in the, there were letters in the drawers. Uh, a letter from his appearance on Touched by an Angel. I, I mean, what? it is, and they've both owners have been so good to not change huh. anything. It's and uh, Randy was like, nah, I don't really. It'd be a lot of work to move. 
Many complicated things apparently went into some of this. You know, he's recently had a stroke, so it was before that, but uh, lots of uh, complicated <laughs> end of marriage things that involved. Uh, mm. Don't need to see any of this. Did you again. Find any top um, secret documents there? No. Curiously <laughs> enough, uh, <laughs> Randy Travis. Keep looking. Well, not that they've told me about. Not that they've told me they, that might be a thing. But I bring that up only because the the kitchen is surprisingly. Uh, Simple, hardly a room to plate a plate. Um, just a very uh, stand. I mean, it's a nice. Piece. The next door neighbor uh, now has moved out as well. So go back twenty years when this house was, you know, doing its thing. Thirty years. Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac lived right, right there. Who still lives on this island of Maui and uh, runs a runs a bar here. I mean, has his name and he's around it and all that stuff. So. Yeah, but a terribly small kitchen, Rob, Dan. I don't think the two of you could function at your at your highest level. Um, well, you know, I for, uh, I I know back the in the eighties when kitchens were small. Yeah, I know the friend that you're staying with who uh, loves to cook as well, and uh, and I have witnessed him make just gigantic messes as he cooks. So how, how does he function in that small kitchen? Does he does he do okay? Uh, yeah, you know, just with a comment about every fifteen or twenty seconds about how small the kitchen is and how difficult it is. Uh, but I thought it, I thought the kitchen works great. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, but you know, when you're, when you're a true kitchen person and a, can, and a, a fine cook, you, yeah, you can know we, the things, you know. Enjoy. Can we just, can we jump back briefly to just the idea of walking away from a home and all of its contents? Um <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I've like threatened at times that like, I just want to, you know, Vanessa, next time we move, we're just walking away. Like, sell it all, burn it down, whatever. <laughs> I just, I don't want a moving truck ever again in my life. So I, I appreciate that. But when you're Randy Travis, you figure like, you know, two guys in a truck, you know, you, you got enough money to pay well, for that. To, okay, but know, I will tell you. handle we, your stuff? Well, we are on a rock in the middle of the ocean. So one That's of the true. considerations is if you're not going to be living on this island, what are you going to do with all this stuff? You're going to put it in a crate and then it's going to get onto a ship. So there's an extra level of complication for all these, uh, you know, houses on rocks. Uh, no matter where they are in this little island change. Yeah. I think that had a lot to do with it. And and I think some people, uh, you know, were more intrigued by the house in the as-is shape. So I, I've had uh, Randy Travis music playing around here and just thinking like, what if he wrote that song right over there? That spot has been very, very fun. <laughs> well, very speaking fun of experience. small kitchens, uh, we got bigger fish to fry. So we got... Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Take that, Joyce. Is that Murdoch? That uh, Rupert Murdoch, who you know, runs Fox News, has admitted under oath in this deposition uh, that Fox News endorsed election fraud falsehoods, knowingly peddled these lies, the big lie, and he didn't do anything to stop it. He said in this uh, deposition, I would have liked to us to be stronger in denouncing it in hindsight. But he didn't. They they kept this going. They kept selling these lies. And uh, the quotes that are coming out of this story are pretty incredible. Have you guys dug into this much? What is your reaction to this? Yeah. yeah. Just to kind of set the context, um, Dominion voting systems 
has been, as a company, just completely defamed by these people who claim that uh, there was election fraud. Um, they have claimed that, you know, Dominion changed votes, that their systems got hacked. They've, you know, that uh, Sidney Powell Lowell was going to release the Kraken about Dominion and <clears throat> set the record straight. And all of these things were said about Dominion and none of them have been true. And so what Dominion did is like they, they've just sued, you know, they're, yeah. they're like, okay, we're not going to play these ridiculous political games where you can say anything you want. We're going to sue. And uh, because you've defamed us. And as a result of that, you know, because some of they, they have sued, I think Newsmax, I think they've sued OAN, they've sued the pillow guy, um, Sidney Powell Lowell, uh, and Fox News because of things that were said on on Fox News and their shows. So in the midst of that, there's discovery and there's depositions. And again, as we have mentioned on this podcast before at various points, um, these are legal proceedings, but you like yeah. these are not this is not political theater. These are legal proceedings. And so Rupert Murdoch can't go in and just say whatever he wants. He's got to tell the truth um, under threat of perjury because he's under oath. And so in the midst of these depositions, um, the truth comes out. And the truth is, is that Fox News and their hosts, um, it's particularly the evening hosts who are more, they're not, they're, they're the more the opinion shows. It's the Sean Hannity, the Laura Ingram, the Tucker Carlson, those those kinds of opinion shows that that happen uh, fully uh, admitting that um, their hosts did not believe um, what they were saying and what they were allowing their guests to say, yeah. um, but were doing it because they were afraid of losing viewers who supported Donald Trump. Yeah, that's the really incredible part that they right. admit in these text threads that have become public that they knew these were lies and platformed them anyways. Yeah, because they were afraid, as Rob says, of the viewers demanding the news story. Mm -hmm. And that's that's there's a couple curious things about this story. It shows us about some things about how our whole system works. And one of those is just how fragile the cable news system is and how fragile Fox News is. I know a lot of people talk about it for the power that it has over a small percentage of Americans, and it's true. It's also really fragile. And so many of these news outlets, and that's probably true across the, the spectrum of, of news outlets, it has an additional obligation, these, uh, these hosts, to be sure that ratings stay up. And mm -hmm. that ratings driving what news stories will be covered, how they'll be covered, is in and of itself interesting. I'm not at all letting these, these Fox people off the hook. The problem at Fox News is that there's no differentiation between the yes. person hosting the shows, putting it out, and what's happening with viewership and the rest. There, there needs to be some level of an air gap in there. And yeah. it doesn't exist at Fox, never has existed at Fox, and is yeah. really, really rather tr troublesome. On the other hand, what's sort of nice about it is that Rupert Murdoch was not, um, I mean, I think part of his defense is, hey, I, I own the 
company that owns this one property of, you know, Fox News. I'm not nosing around in every single guest and stopping everyone uh, on what they're saying and having kind of editorial yes or no on all this. It's a real, that's another interesting piece of it, right? Because you would want there to be some level of independence in in the system. It just feels like from the very beginning of Fox News with Roger Ailes and the reason it was designed to feed into a particular stream of American politics has just never functioned the way a decent news operation should function. Short of the one night in November of 2020 when they let the professionals call the election results in Arizona, which is the very thing that they've been trying to recover from, right? The one newsy story they let just be news around the election then became the thing that caused millions of people to stop watching Fox News. Right. They took a big hit because they were the first network to call Arizona for Biden. And people apparently started leaving Fox in droves and then it was a conscious decision after that to say, hey, we got to we got to go hard back the other way and make sure we reel these people back in. And this is totally. how we do it by selling the big lie. Yep, it's just it, it, it and the brokenness of our politics, right, that um, something as ridiculous as this big lie controversy that voting machines were changing votes like not that voting machines were too infrequent or they had a back backup uh, problem or there was a jam in the paper feed. No, no, no. These people are suggesting all kinds of wild notions of switching votes. Like you voted for Trump and it changed your vote or it took away all the votes for Trump in places. <laughs> like just the most absurd things that millions of people were saying, no, that's the news story that I want to hear more of. It's it's not like, hey, I want you to bend the story a little bit this way or talk about these things more or spend a little time on something that makes Joyce feel like it's entertaining. It's not that question at all. It's this absurd story of, of uh, vote, f- full-on vote manipulation and changing on behalf of a private company to help someone who is not the president of the United States. Because again, at the time, Joe Biden, a guy running for president with no political power, has the ability <laughs> to get a private company to, you know, uh, do what it exists not to do, which is to uh, inaccurately reflect the will of the person using their voting machine. I mean, it's just at every level it falls apart. It's just complete and total nonsense. And yet till this very day, I was in a text chain yesterday with a friend of mine and he was reminding me of how, you know, the vote wasn't fair and how votes were changed. People 100% believe it to this, to this very moment. Yeah. People yeah. in my neck of the woods are still flying, stop the steel flags in their yards. People still well, uh, still believe it. I mean, people in my neck of the woods are still flying Confederate flags. So you know, well, <laughs> that too up here in Michigan. <laughs> like you know, uh, we were on the other the, side the of the that. Other side. <laughs> yeah, um, you know the um, w- one of the really interesting things that came out of this deposition um, was not just the admission that you know the Fox News hosts were faking it and you know, dishonest and hypocritical, 
Um, also, that there was a level of cooperation between Fox News, Rupert Murdoch in particular, and uh, the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as a part of the uh, this deposition that was released, is the um, the revelation that Fox colluded with Jared Kushner and the Trump campaign and provided Kushner with access to a couple of things. Um, Joe Biden's campaign ads before they aired and Joe Biden's debate strategy um, and, you know, just giving Jared Kushner, the the former president's son-in-law, um, access to the type of proprietary information that um, should be secret, should be should be confidential um, and, you know, could do great damage to the Biden campaign. I mean, this is um, really deeply troubling that there was not just, uh, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, kind of, you know, bend the truth a little bit for, you know, so we don't run off any, any viewers, but there was also a, you know, putting their thumb on the scale and trying to uh, tip things in the favor of uh, of their friend Donald Trump. This is really disconcerting information. Right. And, and it shows, again, it was often referred to Fox News, especially the evening news programs, those, those opinion piece shows, were talked about as an extension of the Trump campaign, mm-hmm. both in 2016 and in 2020. And in the years in between the two elections was seen as its um, its place where where its notions and ideas would be tried and and run through. And this idea that the executives who had access to ads, I don't know how they got access to Biden's debate strategy. Uh, maybe they found video footage of it, but that they saw ads ahead of time so that other ads could be could be produced. That's that's the kind of thing that breaks breaks the rules and breaks the trust. And they're not doing that, as you say, because they're afraid voters are going to find out, you know, uh, that they didn't share the the, the news story. Yeah. They, they were doing this because they wanted Donald Trump to be reelected the president of the United States. Now, this raises a big question. I watch a lot of MSNBC. I'm pretty sure that MSNBC they wanted Donald Trump to lose. Right. I wouldn't have been watching it if it was. Um, uh, if I didn't feel, you know, a sense of uh, of camaraderie with the agenda of some of the news programs that that I'm watching there, because I saw Donald Trump as a very serious threat to the well being of the of the country and the planet and everyone who lives on it. But so did the news outlet that I put out. I'm not saying MSNBC did things like this or broke the rules, but we just need to acknowledge that we have major television, cable news systems that have a very strong opinion to them on the editorial side. Now, the news side of these places, like a newspaper, should still be journalism-driven and um, not opinion pieces. But that's just where we are in American politics. And it's, it's, a, it's not great. Um, yeah. even, even though cable news audiences are not all that big, when you think about how many people, you know, 150 million people voted in the election, these these some of these evening news programs are drawing two and three and four million viewers a night 
and the same two and three and four million voters over and over and over, right? So it's a bit of a closed loop. So it's not nearly everyone. Um, but there's a lot of power in this, and it's it's a problem in our in our uh, in our politics. There is no doubt, and Fox News is brazen about it, just seemingly with no compunction to to not be these people doing these things. Yeah, I think it's it's critical that that we remember a couple of things. You touched on on one of them earlier, Doug. First of all, um, news is a business, um, and the way they get paid is by advertisements, commercials. Have you noticed, by the way, Dan, do your kids, my eight-year-old does not use the word commercial. She just calls them all ads. It's mm. like, yeah, because like pick that up from the internet yeah. and, you know, she just calls them ads. It doesn't use I thought the word she would say they're commercialing. I thought she was going to totally yeah, make, right. a, make a I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't yet, uh, I haven't yet, uh, you know, totally. Uh, She'll get it. Yeah, she doesn't say Google either. She says, search it up, mom. Mom, can you search that up on your phone? Um, so anyways, the, these cable news channels are businesses the way they get paid is from their advertisers. The The rate that they're able to charge their advertisers is dependent on the size of your audience. The bigger your audience, the more you can charge for your commercial time. The smaller your audience, the less you can charge. So to grow your business, to increase your bottom line, you have to figure out what do we have to do to increase our viewer base? Because viewer base means you know more more people watching means you can charge more for your advertisers and you make more money. Um, so there is, so that's one thing we've got to understand the business model. Uh, and Fox news has gone in and said, okay, our business model is we're going to appeal to conservatives. We're going to offer an alternative to this perceived idea of a, of a liberal bias in the media. We're going to offer that. And over the years, it feels like that's become even more calcified. They've had to make decisions where they they double down on things um, so that, and again, we go back to this, there's this, this sense of like, we can't, even if we don't believe the big lie, we can't dispute it. We've got to, because we're our, our viewers want to hear this. This is, we're going to lose viewers. And so, like we, we we just walk through that whole process. And and Larry makes the point about CNN. This is absolutely the case with every cable news station: CNN, MSNBC. They have, you know, they've all made a decision on what their brand is going to be, what their audience is going to be, and they're trying to maximize the viewership of those audiences. Now, whether or not they use dishonesty to do that, you know, we can. You know, you go back and forth and have conversations about that. But what we have from this sworn deposition under oath, Rupert Murdoch admitting that Fox News used dishonesty, hypocrisy, lies to grow their audience. That's one thing. Another thing what we need to keep in mind is there is the blurring of news and opinion. Um, you know, it's not... Like we have this, when we talk, when we use the word news, I think there's a lot of us that have like this old school idea of like, you know, Peter Jennings sitting at the desk or Tom Brokaw sitting at the desk or, you know, you know, I don't know who was, Walter who was Cronkite. The, thank you, Walter Cronkite sitting at the desk or, you know, my personal favorite, Ted Koppel, um, because if George I grow Smith. my hair, 
if I grow my hair long enough, I, I, I will eventually look like Ted Koppel. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we've got this sense of like, okay, there's here is a person delivering the news who is trustworthy. That is just just the facts, ma'am, just telling me what I need to know. And so we've got this expectation, the sense of when we talk about news, that that's what we're getting. We're getting something well-researched. We're getting something we can trust. We're getting something objective. And the reality is, is that objectivity is a myth. Like nobody is objective. Everybody has uh, their own perspective, everybody wears their own glasses, everybody has their own baggage, and there is a subjectivity to how everything is delivered, uh, not just the way, not just, you know, the way the stories are told, but what stories are told and what stories are not told. Um, and and so you, you've got to recognize that. And there's a blending that happens with, you know, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity being perceived in the same category as Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, Walter Cronkite, Ted Koppel. Um, there's now a blurring that there's no distinction between, um, you know, what is opinion and what is fact. You know, newspapers have an opinion section that they try to differentiate. This is opinion versus mm -hmm. these are editorials. These are opinions versus this is us just reporting the facts of the story. Um, all of that has gotten blurred. So, you know, it, there's great confusion. And then I, the kind of the final thing I'd say is that Fox News radicalized our, our parents, my parents. You know, there's um, <laughs> what they told us video games were going to do to us, like Fox News did to them. Mm -hmm. um, my parents watch Fox News 24 hours a day um like it it never gets turned off and um that's a it's a really disconcerting thing the impact of that in the lives of you know people i know it's just wow yeah and look yes it's it, you're exactly right all perspectives come from somewhere there's built-in uh, assumptions and bias into all these circumstances you can still differentiate a falsehood from a truth, though. Absolutely. Even yep. though there's bias, people can say things that are just demonstrably untrue or let other people share ideas that are not close to the, to the facts or to the reality. They might choose their facts. They might slant. Yes. But then there's a point at which something is intended to give people the impression of something that is not true. In other words, it's a lie. I don't think all media lies. I think most news agencies and organizations are trying to tell the truth from the perspective that they think is most accurate, helpful, or fits their audience. But most people, most of the time, even on the Fox channels, are not wanting to traffic in things that are verifiably untrue to make people draw conclusions that are inaccurate. And then you come to Donald Trump across the board and so much of this stuff changes, right? Mm -hmm. It's just wildly untamed area that people get to say all kinds of things that people just know are not true because he, 
trafficked in things that were not true over and over and over again. So it became part of part of the brand and he was pushing those ideas. So I do think that that Fox News has a culpability that goes beyond MSNBC or CNN or I, you know, the Washington Times, you know, a very conservative sort of, you know, mirror image of the Washington Post. Um, like, yes, you're going to have perspectives, but there are mm -hmm. people on Fox News that they had on and the three you're, you're now talking about, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and, and Laura Ingram, who just regularly say things themselves mm -hmm. and their guests that are so either not accurate or flavored in a way that it's it's just artificial flavorings, you know? It just makes people believe things that are so far from the truth. And that's a kind of news that really is unique, not only in time, like it didn't used to be this way, but even mm -hmm. in the current landscape, these people are absolute outliers when it comes to what's normally being communicated. Frankly, they function more like radio hosts and podcast people on television. Yeah. And we tend to want to say that that, that that medium of television and all the things that go with it should have some force. You know, Larry asked this good question in the chat though. He says, well, how can anybody be an informed voter? Well, truth, truth be told, when you walk into a voting booth, you vote on a whole lot of things that never show up on any news program. You vote for people that there's been no ads about. There's been no stories made about them. Like you're not only voting for the president and maybe a, an occasional senator. And most of your Congress people are never mentioned by any of the factors. Many of your state representatives, many of your county commissioners. Like, look, voting is so much more than only certain positions that we're voting for and what the, what the certain cable news outlets are pushing. So we have to have a much more, we, we have to recognize the more ways in which people are informed about their voting than simply that this is going to change uh, change everything. Now, the presidential elections tend to matter to more people than all the other elections, right? Because it's the only position along with the vice president where everyone in the country who can vote gets to vote for the same person. No other position is like that. So it's, it's share, it's a shared experience for America and has impact on all of us because of the role of the federal government. But we have to have a more sophisticated system. In fact, we need a, a system of elections and of voting and of information where you can have bold or bald face. I never know which phrase I want to use bold or bald face liars that are just out there pushing absolute falsehoods on television and the body politic should be able to handle it. Right? Like in other words, that infection should come into the body politic and the white blood cells should be able to handle that. We shouldn't be so weakened that we can't keep a democracy because Laura Ingram or Tucker Carlson choose to be gutless liars as they've told us they are in the text exchanges that they had. That's something we can do something about. We can't silence Fox News. Too many people are gonna want it, but we could create a powerful enough political system where these kinds of people can't carry this this level of power. I yeah. think this also points out the eroding of like local media, the mm. chipping away of like local news, whether it's papers mm -hmm. or television. So all these local media outlets have been gobbled up by monopolies basically and then they get most of their content from a large provider like fox mm -hmm. news 
And uh, one of our friends, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, talks about these media deserts that exist, especially in rural America. The only media content available to them is controlled by a handful of these these groups like Murdoch. And so in their ecosystem, they might not be watching Fox News every night, but the people around them are and the local TV host is or the local radio talk show guy is. Yep. And so they're still getting these ideas and these lies, but repackaged from a voice that they might trust a little more. Yep. And that's a great point. And that's, that's part of how do you create enough of a, a strong enough of an ecosystem so that the so that information can be available to people. And you would think, well, I shouldn't say it that way. I would say 40 years ago when Randy Travis was shooting pool on this pool table that I have my computer <laughs> set on, people said things like, well, when the internet becomes ubiquitous, then people have access to information. And once there's access to information, that will be the antibodies that will take care of all of the lies. The things that we have thought all from the founding of this country, the idea that a more open media, more accessible media, which is why we had libraries and newspapers and a second amendment protecting the freedom of the press, all of that was designed to have more access to more ideas. And the belief was that's what would save American democracy from the kinds of uh, small little hives of lies that could be so deceptive. As it turns out, 40 years on, the internet wasn't exactly the answer to that to that uh, <laughs> situation, right? Some people are saying another uh, solutions are coming. Some people are saying, no, this this bot chat, you know, uh, artificial intelligence stuff that's going to just create things that look and sound and feel like news is going to just get even more dystopian and and worse. I'm. I don't know. I think anyone you know who suggests what 40 years from now is going to look like is pretty much guessing. But we do have to do something about it because the, the, the answer is not give people more, more access, more knowledge, more information. I mean, yes, there are deserts, but so many places also have the internet. <laughs> and even in those places, what people choose to get and how the algorithms work. Yeah. And, hey, this, this interaction I had with a, with a friend the other day was an interesting thing on this. I, we were back and forth about something to do with this nonsense, you know? And I said, man, look, you can just Google it. Just Google the story. And he wrote back and said, you know that the algorithm sorts Google responses based on political affiliation, right? He's literally saying that when he Googles something and when I Google something, we get different articles, different information, not different ads, not in different, but what that somewhere there's information that's going to have known what my political leanings are. So even the idea of, uh, can you Google it up? Is that is, is that what Whimsy says? Search it up. it up. Search, search it up. It up. If, you, if you search it up, according to this friend of mine on, who's on the conservative side, he said, well, you can't trust what Google's going to tell you. Like, there is no place <laughs> you can go. That, like, even that is not shared, trustworthy wow. information. He's wow. convinced he's getting an entirely different world than the world that I'm getting. And somewhere... 
you just think, okay, we're just not even trying yeah. anymore to to, yeah. to give this so, thing, to give this thing a shot. Yeah, I want to highly recommend to folks um, an article that that I read this week. Uh, it was an opinion piece in the New York Times that then got got shared out and, and published a few different places. It basically uses the the metaphor of professional wrestling as the means by which to understand the current Republican party. Mm. And it is spot on fantastic. Everything we've talked about in this discussion about, you know, pretending, you know, holding a position real strongly and loudly and vociferously, um, but really not actually believing it, you know, and like the Tucker Carlson's of the world. And even the viewers knowing that you're doing that, but yes. willing to go along with it yeah. anyways, um, it, it it's just uh, it is a fantastic article that I think coming from a, a really kind of unusual space uh, was just really really fantastic, and 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 plays into all of this and helps to explain it. I think we we have the you know. If you watch the movie Idiocracy, um, which is a a great idea for a movie, maybe not well executed. You know, it's a better idea than it is a movie. Um, <clears throat> but there's a professional wrestler who's the president of the United States in Idiocracy. Um, and it feels like we're, we, uh, we're closer to that than probably any of, any of us, uh, you know. Yeah, and look, I think that's a great that's a great lens to say we're not just talking about truth and lies in some sort of binary way. We're talking about fiction and nonfiction and what, mm-hmm. how do people frame their lives, right? All of us frame our lives around this combination of fiction and nonfiction and truth is actually found in both of those artists, people in literature, music remind us that yeah the way we frame up a worldview and function in the world is with a combination of fictions and nonfictions. Some people would say truth and make believe or something, but it, like just go through your day and recognize that you're, you're telling yourself a story, some of which are true and some of which you're sort of fabricated about how this is going to go and the story you're going to live in. And you're imagining how it's going to go this afternoon. You know, I'm going to travel to the airport and get on an airplane and do a thing and go to a place. And, and I'm going to, inform that story in my head based on a bunch of past experiences and a little bit of hope, you know, maybe I'm going to get bumped up into the, sit in a better seat. Like there's just a lot of things that are going on. This is how we go through our lives and the narrators of our lives contribute both to our, the fictional side and to the nonfiction side. That's why professional wrestling works, but that's also why all sports fandom works, right? You're living in a, another story right pick your sport and be like oh when the people put on those uniforms the false hope that cleveland browns will ever be successful (laughs) but but truly i mean even beyond the fact that you know some people just because of where they were born just have to follow loser teams someone from minnesota that if i followed professional football it would be my case too um it's forced upon you but then you also pick these little fictions that we live in right we do it all the time you know, um, there was this, I watched these people out on the beach who, by the way, this family came to the beach here in, in Maui with 
baseball and softball mitts. At one point, there were seven people playing catch with softballs on the beach, like having to chase the ball really fast so it didn't go into the ocean. Like these people were committed to softball. But this 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 younger girl, she looked like nine years old or so, was practicing her underarm pitching, which is still an amazing thing to watch. And you could hear the dads sort of like, okay, you know, it's it's the the count is two and one, you know, two balls and one strike. What are you going to throw? Like making up a story, right, to yeah. motivate someone to a real action. Fictions and nonfictions are so important, but you can get into a world in which you lose touch with the, with the nonfiction side. And to the start of this whole conversation, when you said when you get called into a courtroom. And there's perjury charges that are sitting over you or, or financial consequences to you not telling the truth. Those fictions tend to um, take a back seat. And that's what's happening. And Fox News is over the edge in its nonfiction world as an attempt to try to get to the truth. They're telling stories top to bottom, it feels to me, on that in that space that are much more fiction or much more professional wrestling. Uh, than than anything else, but that's really what's what's happening. You know, it's and when you do morals moralist statements like truth and lies, it causes human beings to respond differently. You know, mm -hmm. when someone says you're lying, there's just a whole lot that goes into that because of our moral sensitivities, as opposed, and you don't really know how to like. Well, how much shading the truth is a lie? That that phrasing, even which we've talked about today, is not as effective as I think what you're getting at, which is this conversation about what what are the chosen, agreed upon fictions that we're willing to live in. Yeah, yeah. There's a in in this article is about how in the professional wrestling world there is a there's a term for this. It's the it's the the term kayfabe, which is um, pig Latin for. Uh, um, I think keep fake or something like that. Um, and so kayfabe is this idea of like, it's the character I'm playing and I've got to, you know, I, I've got to, and I think they use it as a verb, Doug here. Um, I think, yeah, I've got to kayfabe anybody who's like not in the know. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I just highly recommend this article to folks. Um, you know, whether you, you think professional wrestling is just utterly silly or not, this is a really, really helpful lens. Um, and then, and, and, and look, then when, and, and this is why advertising is the great partner to, to all of this. Yes. Because television advertising, especially because of its visual and, and uh, auditory form, they create fictions a decent commercial. And it's not just the pharmaceutical commercials that do it. Yeah. That what they do is they're creating a world and inviting you to go live in that world. And we all know that, you know, the, the pill doesn't work like that, or the, the car doesn't have that impact or the sell, sell your life insurance so that you can live off of the proceeds of it. Isn't as simple as all that, whatever the commercials are, they're running on cable television, but they're creating a fiction that people are living in. Yes. So we're, always moving through these <laughs> through these worlds, trying to find a little bit of reality in the midst of, of the fiction or even more reality if we can. So we're, there's no getting out of that. And we have to become almost better media people and better. Um, well, it highlights the need for media consumers. literacy. Like this yeah. should be taught in schools from a very young age. Like how do you filter and assess what you're seeing with your eyes? Yeah. Like, and I remember yeah. growing up, People saying like you can't believe everything you read on the internet, 
and then most of that generation <laughs> believed anything believed that was said. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, it's funny this, uh, you know, a, a conversation about, you know, we normally kind of do a roundup of stories, but uh, this this Fox News stuff and um, its implications for the country, you know, is big and it was enough to, you know, <laughs> fill up a, you know, a whole hour yeah. today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks to everyone in the chat for hanging with us, Jim. Yeah, Larry, Larry and Jim. Larry and Jim were having a great conversation yeah. there. Um, Trisha. Trisha, as always. And I just, I just, I, I just want to, I just want to say, Joyce, I'm sorry for boring you. <laughs> oh, Rob, you're not responsible for anyone else's feelings. Let's just remind each other of that. And, and being bored is a feeling that you're not responsible for. You're not responsible for. Um, Joyce, you know, you're sorry for that, a while. So. You know, it's, it's the difference between we're sorry that you were bored and we're sorry for boring you. I'm sorry, Joyce, that you were bored. I, I wish there was a mechanism for you to find more interesting things. Um, on the, on the internet, but I get it. It's, it's, uh, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, no, we're glad for everybody. Joyce, glad to have you around too. And um, yeah. right, let me just say, Joyce, just if you think joking. you're bored, I mean, imagine the three of us. What are we doing? You know, you don't think we're just. Yeah. Mostly because we talk about all of this via text message and then we come on here and do it all again. No. Hey, we'll be back safe. around here this week. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. How long is that? How long of a flight? How, you're going from uh, yeah, Hawaii to California hours. to Minneapolis? Five hours to L.A. And then tomorrow I go to Tucson, Arizona, where there's a get-together um, put on by the people, uh, a group of people, including moveon.org and some others that want to talk about the threat of Christian nationalism. So a bunch of people who talk about this, as we do, because tomorrow at Vote Common Good, we launch the March on Christian nationalism effort. The whole month of March, we're going to be uh, emphasizing this, including launching a new podcast on Friday on our the threat of Christian nationalism training. So get that in all the places. Subscribe separately. And if you don't uh, subscribe to podcasts yet, let this be your first one. Tell, share with friends and family. Yeah. So anyway, off to Arizona for that for that effort. Nice. To, uh, we're going to be efforting the stopping of Christian nationalism in uh, <laughs> while we're Tucsoning in Arizona. -ing. <laughs> no, I got that one wrong. Well, we're just in Tucson, Arizona. So, if anybody's in Tucson, Arizona, wants to swing by and say hello, that would be that would be great. I don't like going to places where there's strangers. So. All right, bye everybody. Bye.